were to take apart a disciple, what would be the components that you would find, much like looking at a body, the different parts of a body or the different parts in a vehicle? Uh, what would be the parts that you would find if you could study the anatomy, the makeup of a disciple of Jesus? And remember, we, we learned that the word disciple, oftentimes we think of it as follower, and that's not wrong to say that, but that word means learner. So you're following, but you're not just following, you're learning to be like Christ, and that's what we've been trying to focus on in this series. So if you'll remember, the core of our spiritual life, that core, that center, and it's also, we've described it as the engine of our spiritual growth. Uh, on this slide, we'll see the, all the different parts there. Is the, the, At the heart is that humbly submitted heart, that heart that's humbly submitted to God. That's first and foremost, that's at the core of your, of your life as a, as a disciple of Jesus. And then right after that is that biblically formed mind. So those two make up your engine for spiritual growth, the core, the, the heart of your, your Christian life, that humbly submitted heart and that biblically formed mind. And then after that, those inform the choices that you make in life, don't they? And see, if you work on that core, just like in, in working out, you, they talk about you working on your core, you work on your core, then your choices are going to begin to be more Christ-like. And then guess what? That outer ring that we're looking at and we're finishing today is your compassions. And then all of a sudden, because you've been working on your core and your choices are looking like Christ-like kinds of choices, then your compassions, the things you're compassionate about, uh, begin to be the things that Jesus is compassionate about. And so then our lives start to look like people who are followers, who are learners of Christ, disciples of Christ. That's, that's the way we're talking about it. And this final dimension, if you will, is, is a compassion of uh, Christ and its inclusive community. Inclusive community. So we're going to dig into what that means when we talk about this. When my family and I were at Oldham Lane... In Abilene, there was uh, a couple we were close to that was uh, special to us named Raymond and Glenda Ware. Raymond and Glenda Ware. Uh, sadly, Brother Raymond passed a couple of years ago uh, while we were still there, but uh, they were special to us. In fact, uh, our girls got to see Glenda when they were there for camp uh, a couple of weeks ago. But, but for the last several years, one of the things that Raymond and Glenda did was they wanted to have the ministers and their families over and have a special Christmas lunch after one Sunday near, near Christmas time. It, they, that just came from their heart. They just wanted to do that. And so they had a really nice house. It was real pretty, and they went all out. They loved to decorate, and, and Glenda just loved to have all kinds of beautiful, nice things all in her house. She had a special room with a piano in it, and it was a Disney-themed, like really nice, breakable Disney things that she had all in, in that room. And, of course, that was a kid magnet. 
in there. And so they loved having us over, and they did. They, they, they just went all out to have this nice meal for us in a nice uh, just Christmas time together. It was really special, and it was an honor to be a part of that. Uh, they, were, they even thought about the kids, and they had a little kids section after we ate and visited where they, they had it set up over here, and they had uh, little things for the kids to do, and they had little gift bags with things like, like puzzles and stuff like that that they wanted the kids to take with them. I mean, it was just... You just, you just felt like you didn't deserve to be in this kind of special uh, uh, setting that they provided for us. It was really wonderful. That's just who they were. Their house was like one of those houses where you walk in, and at, at, when we first started going, our children were much younger, and as a parent, you walk in and you look at it and you think, everything is breakable. Remember that feeling? I mean Everything. And you just know I'm going to be the one that breaks something. It'll, it'll be us for sure. Thankfully, we never broke anything, but we had, a, we had a wonderful time. But, you know, as nice of a time as that was, and for all the work they put into providing that time for us and that wonderful experience, everybody helped kind of clean up afterwards. But, you know, as, as hosts often do, they don't want you to be troubled with any of that, but you kind of get away with what you can. And so the thing was, though, we got to leave and go home and rest and relax. But that's not what Raymond and Glenda got to do, was it? When you go through that much effort to provide that kind of event, that kind of nice setting, what do you have when everybody leaves? You've got some work to do, don't you? You've got dishes and cleanup and tables and chairs and stuff that you had. You've got a lot of work to do because you've had someone in your home. You've, you've provided a nice uh, time for them. And so that's the idea of inclusive community. And really, Raymond and Glenda and many others model that. So instead of them going into someone else's world, they invited us into theirs. And that takes more work. That's not always as comfortable because they're in your life now. It's not you going over there to meet them, to connect with them, and all of that is good and all that is stuff that we should be doing. But to invite them into your life, your world, your home is a totally different thing. Because guess what? They're there in your space. You don't get to walk away from it. They're there until, you're, they're there until they leave in, in, in your environment, so to speak. And not necessarily in your physical home, but just in your life is what I'm talking about. That's a metaphor for your life. And so instead of going into someone else's world, it means inviting them into your world and being open and vulnerable uh, to them and transparent to them. And in the church, we see this in two different ways. We see it externally and we see it internally. So externally is when we are going out into uh, the different circles that we have that we're connected with the workplace, neighborhood, uh, grocery store, the different things we might volunteer with, uh, sports, band, all those kinds of things when we're out somewhere else and we are making connections. Those are good things. Those are things we need, to, we need to get good at. We need to do a good job at doing those kinds of things, getting to know others and, and, and bringing in folks who are not in the church into the church. That's the idea of external. And then internal 
is when the folks that are already here, are we, are we including them? Are we involving them? Are we getting to know them? So that there's always going to be both of those at work. Let's first look at the idea of external, uh, an inclusive community from an external uh, perspective. Being an inclusive community means that we're reaching out pe- to people outside of our church, those who don't know Jesus, to bring them into the Lord's church. And we don't just have this message of uh, what, what we do is not just go around and say, well, here's what you need to do. You better know these things and you better do these things. And if you do that, then you'll be right with God. That, that almost kind of sounds like what the Pharisees did. They just went around and pounded on people and made sure they knew what they needed to do. Now, is there some communication about what people ought to do with their lives and how to re, you know, respond to God? Absolutely. But it's not about just going around and, and pounding on somebody and leaving and walking away. It's about caring about their lives and, and caring about who they are, where they're at in life, and what's going on in life, and, 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 and opening the door for opportunities to talk about Christ. So if someone doesn't at first respond to you when you talk to them about your faith. Maybe they're not interested at the time or, or they're busy or they're thinking about other things. But what do you do in those moments? Do you just say, well, they're not interested and you don't want anything to do with that relationship anymore? Or do you say, hey, that's fine. I'm going to continue to talk to them, continue to develop a relationship with them. I'm going to be focused on having a, a friendship with them, a relationship with them, because that right there cultivates the ground, hopefully one day, to be able to talk about Jesus if they don't already know Christ. And we also have to avoid being sometimes as reclusive as we can be and being so private in our lives where we don't open ourselves up to anybody. We don't get to know anybody. No one comes in and we don't go out. We've got to avoid that because that is not what Jesus called us to do. And for some of us, that's hard to do. Some of us, we're just more introverted. We're just more private, and that's hard for us. And some of us, that's just who you are, and it's awesome. But some of us have to work harder at that. And so we need to learn from those who make it, who make it look so easy. Uh, you know, people often need to see the impact that the gospel has on your life before they're willing to listen to what you have to say. In other words, do you believe what you're trying to tell me? Do do you believe this stuff that you want me to believe? Because if you believed it, you would live it. You would act like it. And then that would make an impression on me to maybe want to know more about what you claim. In other words, are you any different because of the gospel? Does it have an impact on your life? Are there any consequences in your life because you're a Christ follower? That's what they're looking for. You know, we throw the word around being genuine and authentic and all that kind of stuff. Well, are you in your faith? We need to analyze that. Let's look at at Jesus and how he models this for us. Look at Luke chapter 5 in verses 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in this house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. 
Now, this is when Jesus called Levi to follow him and be one of his disciples. Now, Mark and Luke call him Levi. But in Matthew's account, it's the exact same story. It's not a different account. In Matthew's account, Matthew, the author of that gospel, says it's himself, Matthew. And, and so what, what likely happened is like what Jesus did to Saul. He named him Paul. His name was Levi, and Jesus named him Matthew. Do you know what the name Matthew means? It means God's gift. He named him God's gift, gift of God. And so uh, he calls Matthew to follow him. And, and, and Jesus, we see, connected with an outsider, someone who was hated by a lot of people, who was considered a sinner, dirty. He was one of those people that you didn't hang out with. You didn't make friends with them. They were cheaters. They were, they were thieves. They were liars. They were crooked. And Jesus made friends with him and called him to follow him. And then what did Levi do in turn? He, he, he made a feast for him at his own house and brought Jesus into his own house, along with all of his friends. But these were just, these were Levi's friends. What were his friends like? The Bible says they were the other tax collectors and a bunch of different kind of people. And that's who Jesus was hanging out with at Levi's house, eating this food and spending time together. So these were all people considered sinners by the Jewish leaders. Jesus went and spent time with them. And it didn't take long for those Pharisees knew something was up. They heard the gossip around town. They got the text message. They saw it on TikTok that Jesus was at sinners' house. And they said, oh, no, we got to go over there and see what's going on. And they sneak over there, and they find out that they see Jesus, and they start grumbling and complaining and arguing and, and, and picking at the disciples. Why do y'all eat with sinners? What are y'all doing? Why are you doing that? Don't you know that's wrong? Don't you know that's not how you're supposed to act? Y'all, you're a Jew, Jesus. What, what is he doing? And look at verses 31 and 32 in Luke 5. Jesus knew what they were talking about, as he always did. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And the NIV, I think, says, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick, right? You're not supposed to go to the doctor if you're healthy. You're supposed to go when you're sick. And then verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, meaning you Pharisees who are condemning me for eating with these folks, but the sinners to repent, to repentance. So that's what Jesus did. He reached outside of his little circle, his life, into the lives of other people. Why? So that he could reach them so they could have eternal life. That's what that was about. Later in Luke chapter 7, turn over there with me, we find Jesus not at a so-called sinner's home anymore, but now at a Pharisee's home. So we see he'll go anywhere to connect with people so that he can uh, ultimately share eternal life with them. Look at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, remember they kind of laid, laid, kind of sat down with their feet to the side uh, at the table. They didn't, 
sit like we're used to. Uh, so, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him to, this, uh, to his house saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she's a sinner. Look at verse 40. Jesus knew what he was thinking. And he said, and and Luke, Luke writes, and Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, that was the Pharisee's name, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. See, he doesn't know Jesus knows what he's thinking in his mind. And so he says, well, say it, teacher, I'm, I'm, I'm here, tell me, enlighten me. And boy, he was in for a surprise. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Verse 44, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What was Jesus up to? He was up to the same thing he's been up to all along. Reaching people, going into their world, inviting them into his world so he can share with them eternal life for all who would listen. And so someone might ask, oh man, perfect. I found my loophole to go party and live it up and do what I want because that's what Jesus did, right? Oh man, I'm going to light it up. I'm going to chug it down, right? Because that's what Jesus was doing. Now and go get that joint that I've been wanting. I can go have that stuff I've been wanting to have and do that stuff I want to do, right? Because after all, that's what Jesus was doing, right? And all I got to do is just, you know, maybe mention Jesus or invite somebody to church, right? Maybe at school the next day or at work, right? Is that what we see? Is that what's happening? Is that what Jesus was doing? Well, no, it's in your loophole to go live a wild life. That's not what's happening here. We always see every time Jesus was wise in where he went and in what he did. And he knew exactly where he was going and exactly what he was doing. He didn't do stuff like that. He didn't live like that. He knew what he was about. And he never, he never backed down from what he was about, from his mission. He was always about reaching people for eternal life. That's what his mission was. He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He was always looking for those opportunities that he could to step into somebody else's world to invite them into his eternal world. So we'll never get people in the church if we don't reach them when they're not in the church, will we? 
If they're not in the church now, they never will be if we won't reach them while they're out there. And that's what we see Jesus did. And he had one mission. Not an excuse to go do what he wanted, because that's not what he did. But one mission to go reach the lost. Now let's look at internally. The idea of being an inclusive community internally. So now we're talking about when people come into our church fellowship, new members, new Christians come our way. Then, then what's, what's that dynamic like? What, what's that like? What would, do we need to think about? When people come into our church family, of course, we need to welcome them. We need to include them. We need to involve them. They need to feel like they're, they're at a place they can call this home. And that's a great thing when people say that, you know, this, this, this feels comfortable. This feels like home. I'm, I'm getting to know people. People, when they come into a new place, into, uh, let's say, this, this congregation, this church, then what do they need? They have some needs that need to be met, don't they? And they're coming into a setting, a culture, where by and large, everybody to different degrees is already having those needs met, aren't they? Those social relational needs to some degree. Maybe not as far as others, and maybe there's work to be done, but everybody's already somewhere on that continuum. But that new person coming in, it's totally new to them. You ever been to a new mall you've never been to, or a college campus you've never been to? You have no idea where you are. You, you don't even know which way is north or south, right? I remember when I went to college, I had, I, every now and then I still have a dream where I can't find my class. And, and then when I get there, I'm late and I brought the wrong book. And I don't know, maybe that happened to me in real life, but I still, you, you know, you're just totally disoriented. You don't know where the bathroom is. And so we need to be sensitive to that kind of thing and welcome and include and involve new folks. Meet those relational needs, those basic human needs like that. Uh, getting integrated, though, into a new church family is a two-way street, though, isn't it? The, the, the church has a lot of responsibility to meet them where they are and to do their job well to bring them in, to assimilate them in. But that new person also has responsibility, don't they? Because, you, you know, I've seen this so many times with new, new folks, uh, 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 you know, whether they're a new Christian or they place membership there, and they come in right at the last minute, and when, before that N is pronounced on that closing prayer of amen, they are in the car. You can hear the engine. It's amen, vroom, and you hear that, you hear that engine. And, then, and they don't come to class, and they only come on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to get on anybody's case. I'm trying to show you a scenario. And then, guess what? Then they leave, and then what, what's the feedback you typically get? I wasn't making any friends. I, I, I didn't feel connected. How could you? You weren't there. You didn't give anybody or anything or yourself a chance. And so there's a two-way street dynamic happening there. So when it comes to getting plugged into a new church family, uh, a friend from Oldham Lane uh, used this acronym, and I think it really is good. Kindley and I were talking about this uh, not long ago, and I want to share this with you, and he just said, simply, you know, the acronym of STOP, Skill, Time, Opportunity, and Proximity. So let me hit those real quick and look at a couple other passages. So when it comes to making relationships in the church, and this applies to any kind of setting, but we're talking about in the church setting, internally inclusive community is what we're looking at. 
The first thing is skill. So you've got to have some kind of relation building, relationship building skill. Okay, there's some skills involved in meeting people and making friends and holding conversations, right? Getting to know others. It involves some skill. Some people are really skilled at that. Some people are not at all, and they have a really hard time with that. And we need to recognize that and try to help out. But there are different levels of skill, but you need to understand that it takes some skill to develop relationships. That's just the way it is. Any relationship you've had, it's involved some level of skill to connect and get to know one another. Now, you can improve that. That's something you ought to work to improve on. The next is time. You have got to give it time. If you don't give a relationship time, it cannot develop. And so you can have all the skill in the world, but if you're not making time available for that relationship, the relationship cannot develop, can it? So time is an obvious factor. So simply being here regularly, and like I said, not, not getting here after we've started leaving, before we're done, that kind of thing. Again, not picking on anybody, but trying to just highlight some things that can help us, help everybody, uh, whichever side of the street that you're on. And so allowing yourself time to develop relationships and being involved in things like small groups, uh, a ministry, or, or going when you're invited somewhere or having someone else uh, come to your house or go to lunch with you. And then that leads us to opportunity, obviously. You've got to take advantage of the opportunities that are provided, whether it's hanging out after worship or going to something or being involved in a ministry. You've got to take advantage of the opportunity there for relationships to build. And that means you've got to give it time. And that means you've got to use some skill in getting to know people and connecting. You've got to put forth some effort. You see that? And then when it comes to proximity, you're taking advantage of time. You're taking advantage of opportunity. And what does that do? That puts you in proximity with others. So if you're not, you can have all the skill in the world, but if you're not taking advantage of time and opportunity, then proximity is not a factor because you're not there with others to get to know others. And so if you want to develop relationships, you've got to do, you've got to do those things. You know, relationships uh, are really more like an oven and not like a microwave, aren't they? They develop like, more like an oven cooks than a microwave does. And that's where we can have a lot of frustration because we want it to be microwave popcorn and it's not. And it takes time and we feel like I want it to be faster and better because I remember what I had before I came here and I don't have that now and it's been one week. Well, guess what? Those relationships took a while. You just forgot. And so it takes time. So what do you do? Relax. Take advantage of time. Take advantage of opportunity and proximity. And over time, you'll look up and you'll have relationships that you've wanted. But you've got to give it a fair chance. You've got to work it like that. And, and don't get frustrated. Don't give up and disconnect and, 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 and never show up again because then it won't happen. And then you'll take those same behaviors elsewhere. Let's look at some passages that we see about an inclusive community talking about internally. Galatians 3, 26 to 28, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul said it in the same way to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is 
one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the Lord's church is an inclusive community. It's, it's made up of baptized believers in Jesus who come together to do this thing we call church, that this gift, this body of Christ that Jesus has given us. And, and we all call Jesus our Savior, and we try to live in unity and live out His mission. But look at verses 26 and 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What does that mean? You've got a place to belong. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you don't know where your place is, you've got a place in the body of Christ. Whether that's at this location or in Rusk or somewhere else, you've got a place to belong in the body of Christ. And that community is supposed to care about one another, help each other through life, and most importantly, help each other get to heaven. And we must never forget then that the church is designed to reach out of itself into those, the lost the people that are lost, to bring them into the church so that they can have the salvation that Jesus gives us. Finally, look at 2 Corinthians 5. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us or constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That sums up the Christian life. That sums up the disciple of Christ. Jesus left his home in heaven and came to earth to bring us salvation, to die on the cross for us, to bring us the good news of God, to die on the cross and be raised again. And he got involved in our world and invited us into his world, his eternal life in him, didn't he? And what does he ask of us? He asked those of us who are in to do the same thing that he did. Leave your pew. Some of people sometimes think it's their throne. It ain't your throne. Leave your pew and go find people who don't know Jesus and bring them in so they also can have eternal life. And when we believe in him and are baptized into him, then we live and do what he did for us and for the world. And our job is to go and do the same thing for everyone else. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's what it looks like. And that's how I want to encourage us all to live. I want to do better at that, and I hope that you do as well. Maybe you're ready to start your walk as a disciple of Jesus this morning. You hadn't done that yet, and you're ready to now. You're ready to put on Christ in baptism. This church is here for you. You can do that this morning. Maybe you need to study about that, talk about that. Maybe you need prayers. Maybe you had, you're, you're a Christian, but you had not been living like it, and you're ready to get on board and do what God has called you to do. Live the life he's called you to live. We, we're here for you now. We pray for you. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.